and Apex Lab Podcast. Hey there, welcome to the Level Up Engineering Podcast, where we speak to the most experienced technology leaders from around the world. So stay with us to learn actionable management insights to take your engineering team to the next level. This show is powered by Apex Lab, a team of experts in end-to-end digital product development. ApexLab.io Today, I have the pleasure of welcoming David Siegel at our show. He is CEO of Meetup and former CEO of Investopedia. Today, we have a very exciting topic, but before we get to that, David, please tell us a bit about you, what you do, what your passions are. Okay, and I guess I have pressure because you describe me as an accomplished leader. So I have to you know, be as accomplished as possible, perhaps right now. So here we go. I started my career at, a, at an internet company in the late 90s called DoubleClick and ultimately then became manager, director, vice president, senior vice president, worked at One Hand of Flowers, which is a large e-commerce business, then became president of a company called Seeking Alpha, which is a large financial site. Then uh, Investopedia um, helped to grow revenue about 300%, and then we sold the company. And then Adam Newman came a-knocking, the CEO of WeWork, and said, hey, David, would you like to become the first outside CEO in Meetup's 16-year history of this really special company? And for those of you who don't know Meetup, we're the world's largest platform for finding and building communities. So we're in 193 countries. We um, have over 300,000 groups, everything from hiking groups to basketball to uh, learning tech. And our biggest category of groups is actually tech. So tech is our biggest category of groups and tens of thousands of different tech groups around the world. And that's a little bit about me and a little bit about Meetup. Oh, and I, I forgot to that. mention, I also wrote a book that is coming out, that came out yesterday called Decide and Conquer, how easy quickly we forget. So uh, I am now officially like an author, which is pretty exciting. And I teach at Columbia University entrepreneurship as well. Right, right. And um, and we shall uh, get to talking about your book at some point. Congratulations on, on publishing your first. Maybe this is not going to be the last. With that said, today, we have a pretty broad topic, but I think everybody is very excited about the future of the workforce, how we are going to work from now on. We have just gone through pretty much a two-year pandemic. I don't know if it's over yet. I am based here in Hungary and um, we just ended the mask mandates uh, outside of hospitals um, this week. And um, I can see that people are pretty excited about that all over the place. However, the pandemic really has changed a lot in our lives and in our work lives, of course, but in, in the entirety of our lives. So what are some of the, the key takeaways that you have gathered from, from this two-year period where we did everything we could to survive? Sure, I'll, I'll hit on two or three. Um, the first is when people are stuck at home, it gives people an opportunity for introspection, to be thinking about what are they doing in their day-to-day to get off of the fast-paced world that we all live in and to say, is the work that I'm doing meaningful? Now, fortunately, millennials and also certainly Gen Zers even more, meaning and doing something that's truly like the noble cause and, and as part of a mission 
was always more important than people like me who are Gen Xers. But I would say with the pandemic and with people taking a couple of years to just retrench and rethink, I think the importance of mission and meaning is more important for everyone than it's ever been. And I think that's a really positive thing because I think that will result in many companies focusing more on their mission and how they can make the world a better place. So the second is the need for community and for connecting with people is in our DNA. Goes all the way back to Paleolithic, Neolithic caveman, hunters and gatherers, that the way to survive was to be part of a community. If you weren't in a community and you were solo trying to hunt by yourself, your chances of survival is a lot lower. So for hundreds of thousands of years, it's been inbred, but we take it for granted. And so many of us didn't have community. But then when people during the pandemic were even more isolated, were more separated from others, the realization of how much I love having my coworkers near me and the community that exists at work, people took a step back and they start to really appreciate the value of having that community at work, the value of seeing people in person. And although Zoom is what it is and other ways of connecting are what they are, they don't replace in-person connecting. And I think people's appreciation for community is even higher. In fact, you know, there's a reason why the Roaring Twenties happened 100 years ago in the United States, right after World War I and the Spanish flu. And I believe that the Roaring Twenties are gonna happen again as a direct result of the pandemic. And the influence on work is really quite significant. I think people will have more of an appreciation for in-person and getting back together, but at the same time, they also don't and won't get back to work mostly, especially in tech, five days a week. So it's that kind of hybrid world that is definitely going to be the future, especially in tech, that is a direct result of the pandemic as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So hybrid and community are two keywords that uh, really stuck with me from what you just said. And they also kind of sound like not necessarily the opposite of uh, mm-hmm. the same the same spectrum, but but they don't really go as well together. Could you elaborate on that? Sure. One of the things I like to think about as a parent is to be a great parent, you also have to be quote unquote self-focused and take care of yourself in order to be unselfish and help to take care of others. So when you could think that being self-focused is the opposite of being unselfish and taking care of other people. But in reality, sometimes you really need to live in that kind of dual world of being able to have both in order to accomplish it. So I think the same holds actually when it comes to hybrid and community, meaning that the benefit of hybrid is that people, it gives people an opportunity to take care of themselves to a much greater degree than if they are working 8 a.m. or in the case of tech, 9 or 10 a.m., you know, to 6 or 7 or 8 p.m. Every single day, five days a week, and sometimes even on weekends. It's incredibly unhealthy to do so. It results in burnout. The hybrid environment, I think, will result in the future in far greater work-life balance for people, especially, especially for women in the workplace and to give or primary caregivers, I should say, whether the primary caregiver is a woman or a man. And that's a real deep positive. So hybrid enables people to avoid burnout. Hybrid enables people that if you have 
some work as a engineer that you need to do and you need to quiet around you because so many of the work offices are bustling with noise and everyone walks around with headphones, understandably. You could just be in the zone at home and get things done. But at the same time, being in the zone at home all the time eliminates collaborativeness, eliminates being able to work together, being able to mob and all the other great things that are important and you know, the stand-up, et cetera, um, in kind of the world of tech. So you need to complement that. So what we're doing at Meetup is we are going to be having people um, work uh, a minimum. They could work two days a week near the office, unless there are certain situations, like if they're caring for an elderly person or they're immunocompromised, et cetera. But I actually see them as complementary, not opposites, because the ability to have hybrid actually can help to drive community because then when you're there in person, you're spending more of your time in collaborative workspaces. So we're actually coming up with a new office space right now. And the plan for the office space, is we're gonna have very few spaces for like cubicle, no cubicles, of course, very few like office spaces where just it's open and people are sitting at desks, a lot of conference rooms, a lot of one-on-one -on -one meeting rooms. When you're in the office, let's take advantage of it and have lots of time where we're collaborating. And when we're not in the office, let's get the best of that as well. Right. I love how you you spun that with uh, with making it be on the on the same side of of the coin. My immediate thought after you you started speaking about uh, you know being more productive at home was that at home we don't have the same signals to stop working and the office never really dies down and um, you know the cleaning lady never comes to to start picking up uh, the the trash from the office so this really touches on on some other aspects of uh, of working in a hybrid model but for me the the first thought was if i'm at home that just gives me an excuse to work way more than uh, than i would perhaps at an office what would you say to to people who are kind of conquering that challenge at their own workplaces? Gosh, such an important question because we all have too much work to do and it's so easy to want to avoid feeling overwhelmed and just keep working longer hours. And it's obviously very dangerous to do so. So I'm kind of obsessed with the concept of forcing mechanisms. And I'm not sure if everyone knows what a forcing mechanism is, but a forcing mechanism is basically saying, I am going to do not do something or do something and only give myself a reward if I do it afterwards and, or and concept of delay of gratification or however you want to put it. So for example, this may sound funny to you, but I'm someone who really needs to exercise every day and it gives me energy and it gives me happiness and it gives me peace and all the other great things about kind of, and exercise could be yoga, it could be running, it could be even taking a long walk outside, it could be anything, it doesn't really matter, meditation, but just need to do something. So I say to my, and I also, it sounds so funny, I've never said this publicly, but what the heck, I also enjoy showering just because I like to feel clean, of course, who doesn't, some people may don't enjoy showering, but I do. So what I do for myself is I say, unless I've exercised in the morning, taking care of myself, had a healthy breakfast, I'm not gonna like, I'm not gonna shower. I'm going to like, I have to have the discipline 
of taking care of myself first. Like we said, almost at parenting first, you got to find ways of taking care of yourself first before you can help other people. So first thing in the morning, I'm always there when the weather's nice enough, bike riding or running, or if it's not nice, like now it's snowing in New York, ridiculously, in March, then you know I'm on the treadmill or, or lifting weights or whatever. So I would say one very important thing for people to do is find that thing that they take care of as early in the day as they can, because if you push it off, it's easy to forget doing it. And force yourself to do it by thinking like, what could I not do that I enjoy doing unless, unless I do that? So that's kind of one thing that I do. And the second thing is just, it takes more discipline is the bottom line. So for me, as, as having a family and three kids, you know, I will say we are always going, you know, always to the extent when the kids are, are home and are able to have, have dinner together as a family. And that's an important one. Or spend one-on-one time, my wife and I together as well. Not everyone has this luxury, by the way. So I'm lucky to have like a space in my house that's a separate office. And I'm not with my laptop in the kitchen and my laptop in, in all in the bedroom and everywhere else, I keep it in, in a room and I keep it separate from the other locations so that I can close the door and I'm not like drawn to come back. A lot of times in the evening, I do come back and that's fine, but I try not to. And it's just about kind of being disciplined about having that separation is very important. I love that. Thank you. Thank you very much for, for building on that a little bit. So our audience is mostly tech leaders uh, and people, people in IT. You mentioned community building, and I really love that. I love Meetup. I think I registered in like 2012 or something like that. Like amazing. a long time ago. Amazing. 10 years. And, yes. Um, and I, I, I know that there are lots of kinds of uh, meetups happening everywhere in the world. 193 countries. Every country but North Korea were in. Wow. Very yeah. nice. I didn't know yeah. that. How would you suggest that... Um, leaders in tech companies build the kinds of communities that will help their workforce uh, stay motivated in, in this new era of hybrid work? Great. So I'm a big fan. In the US, it's called ERGs or Employee Resource Groups. I don't know what it's called in Europe and other locations. But the concept of an ERG is to say, how do we build community and connect different groups of people? So for example, at Meetup, we have three different ERGs and, and it forms as a leader subgroups because we have a hundred or so employees and yes, we have a larger meetup community, but sometimes community is more special when it's like eight to 10 people, 10 to 15 people. This, you know, the average meetup size for a meetup group gathering is like 10 to 12 people on average. Tech groups tend to be larger, you know, book clubs tend to be only five or six people. So we have three different groups. One is a meetup in pride. So anyone in the LGBTQ community or people who support that community. The second ERG that we have is people of color. Again, same thing. And the third is a women in meetup group. And, and as a leader, creating these smaller communities of people is incredibly helpful and powerful. And we have those, those are official ERGs, but we also have Slack groups of other types of groups that are um, created um, within the company as well. Now, the ERGs meetup actually gives money to and a budget to for events, and it's really important. But we also have Slack groups. We have parents, a parents group, uh, Slack group community that people have, and people post pictures of their of their kids, and they if they hear about like a great event, 
then they might go, you know, go to that event. We, we have different religions have Slack groups as well within Meetup. So it's, it's find ways of creating community, both uh, in Slack as well as kind of larger ones and also give budget to them. Because one thing just to say, hey, create a community, do lots more work because I know you're already busy. That's not that helpful, but it's it's also helpful to say, hey, here's ten thousand, here's fifteen thousand dollars. I want you to find ways of building community within the organization. That's thought one in terms of community building. The another one at the more broader level within the organization, food is a great time to gather. Food is a great time to gather. People like so we have something at Meetup when we were in person. We're getting back to our office another month, but we had something called. Eat up, as in, you know, plan words for meet up, and also treat up. So we would get treats for everyone once a week or every other week at three o'clock and everyone would come. We'd have a free lunch every week or every other week, depending, um, called eat up. And then everyone would eat together and we had a picnic tables where everyone sit together and you'd see engineers sitting with marketing people or engineers across different teams, building relationships together. So, so you want to focus on, as a leader, the, the broad company level, but you want to not just things, do things at the broad level. You want to make sure that you create these groups of people that have similarities and, and passions that they could share too. I love that. Thank you. I, when you said around eating, I, I immediately thought, you know, you said community is so important and it's, it's, it's like so primal for everyone to, to have a sense of belonging and eating is the same. It's, it's as old as history. You only share a meal with someone who you care about, or you can at least trust as much as to put your whatever self-defense down and start eating. So that's a, that's a great one. Thank you. And I also love that you give resources to employees to to create their ERGs. I think lots of companies maybe need to take the lead on that and also also kind of uh, make an investment in creating community. It's part of building culture. The focus of a leader is to build a culture within their organization and their teams. And a big part of culture is community. So so and and just saying to do something without putting budget behind it is is empty. So I agree. All right. So there is something called the like great American resignation, I think, going on mm -hmm. right now. And uh, lots of people are talking about how there are enough people in the workforce, but there are not enough workspaces that will appreciate their employees enough. What are your thoughts on that? And how could how could companies maybe forego the the great resignation sure yeah i mean in the united states three to four million people a month are quitting and leaving their jobs it is out it is insane what's right. happening it's very hard to hire people a lot of dynamics have changed many people have left the workforce um, for good reasons and for for challenging reasons having to do with family etc Unemployment is at a real low for, for over the last decade or so in the United States. And it's definitely a serious problem. And I'm sure it's the case in Europe and other places in the world as well. You know, I hate to keep beating the community drum, but I really do believe it. I am a meetup guy. So what am I supposed to say? I mean, in reality, people's connections with each other. There are people that join meetup, you know, during the pandemic, they quit after 18 months and, and well, 
I shouldn't say that because we did do things to get people get people together. We had, but they never came to a meetup office because we never had an office, you know, to go to during this time. You know, I, I'll get to things that we have done during the pandemic, other things during the pandemic as well. We have a monthly get together in person, for example. But to get back to the question, when people don't have those connections with each other, the likelihood of then leaving the company because you don't feel as connected to your 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 building your friends and your colleagues is much higher because. You know, all you need to do is send in your laptop, get a new laptop, and you're there. You're not going out for drinks after work when during the pandemic. You're not building those, going for coffees and lunches during the day. You're not doing those collaborative working and have that same energy and connections to people. That's why it's so important to, in my mind, not to have totally fully 100% remote type, type workforces. I understand that numerous companies have gone and are willing to go like Salesforce, for example, um, have let people be 100% remote. And there's other companies like Google that are, uh, and certainly some banks like Chase Manhattan Bank, uh, Chase um, and, and others that are much more focused on getting together in person. But it's gonna be very hard to retain employees who never show up in person and don't have any kind of in-person connection. Now, you can do things to create remote connections and we do that but it's still harder than when people are in person. I think that's the number one contributor to the great resignation. The other one is what we talked about earlier, the lack of meaning and the lack of mission, lack of feeling like you're connected. As a leader, finding how what you do as a company makes the world a better place, that will also help to keep people there. For Meetup, the number one reason why people stay is because of our mission. Our mission is around curing the loneliness epidemic. 46% of people regularly feel lonely regularly feel lonely and 62% of Gen Zers regularly feel lonely. And Meetup's job is to build real connections and to kind of end loneliness in the world. And that's a really great aspiration that that resonates for so many people and 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 every company needs to find their aspiration. Even if it's not like a Meetup thing, you know, Investopedia, we were about helping to educate the world around finance so people don't make, you know, significant financial mistakes. And that's also you know, great. It's not as meaningful as community, but um, I think those are the two things that I would say: focus mm. on community and focus on mission. I wanted to come back to to what you said about meaning and and finding meaning at work. We have a lot of software engineers who are who are here with us on the podcast, and sometimes I hear that you know. Meaning is, you know, it depends on whatever people tell themselves and it's up to them to figure it mm -hmm. out. And the company has little to do with it because mm -hmm. an employee is there for the money or whatever. Mm -hmm. What would you say to those people? And also how how could you elaborate on on the importance of, of creating something more meaningful for a company? Yeah, I mean... For us, meaning gives Meetup an unfair competitive advantage in hiring top talent. We have people that turn down working at Facebook, working at Apple, working at uh, you know great big tech companies because of the meaning that we have of curing the loneliness epidemic. You want to hire great people, that's your job as a manager. You want to retain top people, that's your job as a manager. You want to motivate people, that's your job as a manager and a leader. All those things are part of your job. So a mission is really critical. Now, the key is that the same mission doesn't necessarily resonate for all people. For some people, um, 
you need to understand what drives them. For some people, what drives someone is learning as much as possible and just maximal learning. And if part of a company's mission is to help to facilitate learning and growth for people, then emphasize that component of the mission. If there's another component of a mission that's about community, emphasize that part of the mission. But really understand what will best motivate someone and help to target you know, your communications accordingly. The thing that I think that leaders can do more of, including myself, by the way, in talking about mission is storytelling. Specific examples can be so deeply, deeply powerful. You know, I'm actually just looking at my phone right now because there's a story that I recently shared to the Meetup community, and it's very short. And I just want to share it here because when I did, it really struck for so many people. So I just got an email just a few days ago from a meetup um, organizer. And the email said the following. It was a subject that said, thanks for meetup. It said, David, I'm very grateful for meetup. My mom is in the hospital and is probably going to die. Because of all the great friends I've met through running my groups, I'm not alone. And I have people here to come over and support me while this is going on. Thanks, and I, I didn't include the name. That's a, that's a real story. It's a real email that I got. Just got it. And every few weeks, it's, I get powerful emails and experiences. Find ways of un unveiling those stories. Find ways of connecting with your, your customers. Even if you're an engineer and you don't talk to your customers necessarily day to day, and your product manager does talk to them, find ways as a leader of getting those stories out to the engineers, to the product managers, you know, from, from the customer service teams, et cetera, because they're powerful and there's a lot of them out there that could really help connect people. Thank you so much. That story was really, really touching. I, uh, it is so great to hear that a person could go through that experience with, um, the support of people that they have met through the product that you're making. It's. Amazing. We're very lucky. We have a Facebook organizer group and the same person posted it in the Facebook group. And then I saw person after person after person talking about the ways in which Meetup was helpful to them. And I was like, oh my God, I'm so lucky to be part of this. But my job as a leader is not just to say I'm lucky, but it's to then share that and communicate that with other people as well so that they can have that appreciation. And that helps to retain people and that helps to give people more fulfillment, which is really important. We spend more of our time working than doing anything else when we're awake. So let's make sure that it's something meaningful. Right. Thank you. And thank you for mentioning that it may not be the thing for everyone. I think it's important to, to understand that if you decide for something for your company and say, okay, guys and gals, this is what we are doing and this is what we stand for, then there will be some people who will not be as into that kind of mission and they maybe don't have to work uh, for your company. Um, and that differentiating factor is, is really helpful so that the people who actually end up at your company are all people who can be driven by the, by the same things. It's so important. You know, when, when I, so in the book, Decide and Conquer, I talk about how, when I joined as a CEO of Meetup about three and a half years ago, people looked at me and they said, do you represent the mission? Because you also care about revenue and growing the company. And the mission at the time beforehand had just, you know, had just been about the mission, not about building an effective business and revenue. 
And I kept repeating the same thing over and over again, Carolina. And the message was, revenue gives oxygen to our mission. The more revenue we have, the more we could reinvest in the business and do that. But you know what? There were some people that were just anti-business. They were anti-revenue. And they said, we really just want to work for a company that helps people. We don't really care about this revenue thing. And some of the people just decided to quit and they thought I was too business oriented, you know, et cetera. And that's okay because you need to be clear um, to a company around kind of what, are the, what do you stand for? And then, you know, the chips may fall where they may and, and use that. The other thing that in the book I talk a lot about is the importance of creating values, company values. And we have like six values at Meetup and we use those for recruiting. We use those for um, performance reviews. We use those for lots of different areas. And if some person doesn't necessarily fit those values, then again, like you said, they could find uh, an opportunity where they might fit the company's values or mission much better. Thank you. Um, do you care to share about how you found those values at the company? Sure. Okay. I'll share how we found them and I could share very briefly the six if you'd like as well. All right. Okay. Here's the story. So I joined and I took over for an, the, the founder of the company, the only CEO the company had ever had. And it's really important when you take over for a founder to respect that founder and to respect what he or she, they created as a business and not to come in and be like barnstorming and say, you had these set of values. Well, we have these, these set of values. That, that doesn't work. In fact, the company had 23 values. It was just didn't make any sense because there were just too many. When you have too right. much, it doesn't mean anything. And then the HR department, people team had a totally different set of values because they couldn't use 23. They used different values in recruiting. It was, it was kind of like a mess. But what I did is I said, okay, the first thing I'm going to focus on is not the values because it's important for me to be part of Meetup first, to understand our culture first, and for me not to dictate what they are, but to have them emerge from the company, from the people. So we created a working group of all these cross-functional group of very junior people right out of college, people who have been working 20, 25 years, people in engineering, marketing, all across the different company. One person, actually an engineer, volunteered to lead that group. They met many different times, reviewing and talking about what was important, what was not important. The only thing I said to them is, we can't have more than six. That's my rule. <laughs> Ideally five, no more than six. And we want to have near unanimity that this truly is not what we want to be, but reflect who we are, but also an aspiration of how we could be even better. That's my, that's my goal. So they met numerous times. They came up with them. Then they presented them to me. And what we ended up rolling out was a really just a direct result of their effort and their discussion, their debate. And with minor verbiage kind of changes, but ultimately it all came from an engineer who stepped up and said, I want to lead this cross-functional team to recommend what the value should be. And we didn't roll them out until a good six, six months after I joined because I wanted to take the time to make sure that that we were very thoughtful in our approach because those values are so important. We're going to use them so often. It's not something we're going to change. And once we rolled them out three years ago, we haven't made a single change to those values. Wow. I love that. Thank you. Um, so now that we all have at peak interest, uh, do you want to tell us what those values actually <sighs> turned out to be? I can. Here we go. So the first is called trust and transparency, which is all about the importance of being as transparent 
and as open as possible. We share our financials with the entire company. Every every employee has options. Every time we have a board meeting and the entire company sees the entire board deck, you know, that that we share with everyone. We have a a weekly or biweekly meeting with with all employees. We're meeting all hands meetings with employees. We're all about transparency because trust is so important. Through transparency, you build trust. The second is called focus on impact, which is a great way to fail is to be defocused and try to have too many different priorities. With focus comes impact. The more focused you are, you have more impact. And that's the second kind of anchor for our values. The third is inviting change. It's not just about like accepting change or having change happen to you begrudgingly or you're not happy about it, but you invite it. You say, bring it on because you understand that change helps you to pivot and to thrive and to become more successful. The fourth is step up. Don't just think about your job as like, you know, your box, but you want to get promoted, start doing the job above the job that you're doing. You want to go from manager to director, find out what it takes, what director represents uh, and, and how one becomes a director and then start acting that way and you'll become that way. And we even give an award every month and we give them a cash thank you a meaningful one of a step-up award that comes nominated by people. So we're doing that as well. Fifth is elevate people. Everything happens because of people. We need to, as a company, find ways to elevate our people at all times. And last is not least, but it's foundational, which is lead with integrity. Everything that we do has to have an integrity element, you know, to what we're doing or else, you know, don't even bother. Hmm. I am thinking you are sharing such great insight as to as to what a company should do in this hybrid environment it's having this as a foundation for uniting the people who work for you and and making sure that the business is aligned with these values and can communicate how the values can bring people together and hence make the business better and you really make it sound like it's it's a really good atmosphere to be to be working in you know when when leaders are paying attention to people when they are elaborate and thoughtful about how they can help people be together and how they can work better together i am thinking maybe there are some leaders who will overdo it Today, I am just in this mood, apparently, of, of uh, working yourself into a pop. How do you support the leaders who are in the company who are kind of making it their job to to lead the people and to be thoughtful with, with the employees and and to pay attention to, to the teams that work for them? What is um, your kind of go-to tactic for supporting your leaders? Okay, so I think a couple of things. One is... You can go overboard. You can go overboard. And it's important to acknowledge that. Meaning, there are engineering managers and leaders out there who, th- who believe that their entire job is solely to support whatever their employee tells them to do. Employee says, I need a $30,000 raise. We need to give this person a $30,000 raise. Um, employee says, I want to have XYZ. We need to give this person XYZ. <sighs> managers and leaders have to be business first is to make sense for the business. Now, treating employees well is highly aligned with making sense for the business. But if you take actions that are irresponsible, 
you know, we're going to spend $2,000 on a big dinner or a hundred thousand dollars. You know, before I joined meetup, the company spent over a hundred thousand dollars on a holiday party. That's great for employees. But it's irresponsible. The company was losing $18 million a year. It was totally irresponsible. So part of the job of a manager is to balance and understand the first number one priority is you need to be responsible and do what's right for business and make sure that that's aligned with also doing what's right for employees. But it can't just be about like, you know, my entire job is to do whatever my employee wants. That's not being an effective manager and leader. Right. And how do you support your leaders to be to be supportive of your your employees? What sure. are what are some things that you can do? Okay. So one is we have a se- separate manager meeting every two or three weeks where we just meet with managers and managers share challenges, experiences, what's working well, what's not working well in their groups. How they're having fun during the pandemic, what kind of scavenger hunt things they're doing, whatever things that they happen to be doing. That's number one. Number two is we provide all managers and actually all employees 360 degrees of feedback. They get feedback from their peers, from their direct reports, from the manager, from all these different people. And we do that twice a year. And that's also really important. Four times a year, we have an employee engagement survey and a manager engagement survey to get feedback from managers anonymously. What's working? What's not working? How can we make it better? And then we always share transparently, because one of our values, all those results with all of our employees as well. We also have someone that... We haven't done this in a while, actually, but we used to have someone, um, a different manager each week or every other week, step up, like one of our values, and teach the other managers an area that they happen to be an expert in. So someone might be an expert in giving tough feedback. Another person might be an expert in um, leading teams for make smart decisions, whatever topic is. And we have a different manager kind of give a a short training for 20, 20 minutes and Q&A around a topic that they happen to be a specialist in so other managers can learn from each other you know, mm-hmm. from that perspective. So there's a whole host of things that we manage, but one of the things that we believe in is help managers to learn from each other as opposed to just bringing in these outside trainers who come in, you pay money and then leave and they can't even follow up with them afterwards. Right, right. Thank you. So you, it sounds like you're also building a community of your managers. Exactly. Well said. Thank you. With that said, we have covered a lot of things. And of course, not all of us are lucky enough to work for Meetup. So what would you tell individual contributors who are are working at their company and they don't feel like they are getting the support that they need in this hybrid environment? What could they expect from their managers and and how should they communicate what they are expecting? Send your resume to meet up. I'm just joking. <laughs> that was a joke. <laughs> I just had to know. The best thing that an employee can do is to be as transparent and honest and open about something that is concerning or frustrating them versus keeping it to themselves. Remember there was an employee that I had that came to me and he said, I want you to know, I'm starting to look for another job. I haven't found one yet, but I'm starting to look for one. And I wanted to let you know that during the process, here's the reasons why. And I was just like, wow, you are an amazing person. I then got up in front of the entire company because he said it was okay. And he said, XYZ person is looking for another job and told the manager that and told me that. And I just want to hold that up on a pedestal. And I think it's amazing the person did that because 
maybe we could do something to fix that. Or maybe we can't. And it's actually the best thing we could do is to say, hey, I know you're going to work hard. Take off when you need to take off, whatever it is we trust you. And I know you'll leave us in a good place as you're transitioning out. And thank you. So there's creating an environment where there's no negative implication to people speaking their mind and sharing their thoughts. Again, that goes back to our value of trust and transparency. We need to make sure not just our leaders are transparent, but our leaders help to facilitate other people to be transparent as well. A concept in the book I talk a lot about, which is avoid surprises. And that your job as a manager is to not surprise your manager and it's not to surprise your employees and it's to create an environment where people are not surprised. And if you're able to do that, there's a win. And people think, oh, if I tell someone that I might be looking or I tell someone frustrated, it could look back at me. It's better me just look and then leave. You know, you're not helping the company and you may not be helping yourself. Right, right. Thank you. We have covered a lot of ground. Uh, we talked a lot about meaning and uh, discovering what it is for a company and how important it is to communicate that to the employees and supporting um, its leadership team and also around community. Uh, we talked uh, we talked a lot about how to create it and how to facilitate it and and um, do things like. Uh, eat up and and such i'd love that you shared the values that you you have created over there and we also talked about the importance of transparency just now is there anything else you'd like to add that we haven't touched on perhaps things that companies should not forget if they have listened to this episode to make sure that they are creating a healthy uh, working environment um, I mean, there's so many things, of course, but I would just say if you have an overall mindset that when you make a company decision, you want to be kind to people, you want to be as communicative as possible, you want to explain not just the what, but also the why behind each of those decisions to the extent that you can, then you're going to build trust. And I'll just leave you with one of the preeminent famous leaders some Gen Zers may not know, is a person named Jack Welch, who was the CEO for General Electric at the time he left, was the highest, largest market cap company in the world. And he won the award, quote unquote, for manager of the century, of the 20th century, because he was such an effective manager and leader. So I sat down with him once and I talked to him and I said to him, you are the greatest manager, you won the award as the manager of the century. What is the thing that you did? And he said, just, it all comes down to one thing, which is you have to build trust. You lose trust, you lose everything. And the best way to build trust is like we said, is through transparency. So if Jack Welch believed in that, then it's probably a good thing to do. Focus on trust. Thank you. I love that. I love that. So do as you say and say as you do. Amazing. Thank you so much. We have we have covered a lot of ground. If you care, would you like to tell a few words about the book that just have gotten published so that we can know if we should go, I think we should go and buy it, but maybe a bit more as to what it is and, and what we will learn from it. I guess I'm biased too, Carolina. I think you should go and buy it too. Um, the book is called Decide and Conquer. It's published by a well-known publishing company, one of the biggest and largest, um, called HarperCollins. 
Uh, it came out literally yesterday. Um, it's available on Audible, on Kindle, and of course in hard copy. The concept of the book of Decide and Conquer is um, advice on helping people to make smarter business and also life decisions. But it's not done in a textbooky kind of way. It's done with all these stories like the Jack Welch story and other stories that that kind of have weaved through my career, weaved through Meetup, being owned by WeWork and the saga related to that. I think people make thousands of decisions every day. And Teddy Roosevelt, a president of the United States, had said the best decision is a good decision. The second best decision is a bad decision. And the worst decision is no decision. And too often we let analysis paralysis happen and inertia and push off decisions because it's hard to make decisions. And oftentimes that's the worst thing to do. And I just saw that happening over and over again. So I wrote the book to help people to provide a framework for kind of making smarter decisions to help them kind of as leaders in business and, um, and hopefully in life. So that's a little bit about book. You get on Amazon or Barnes, you know, any, any book to actually for, for people outside of the United States, the best one is uh, a website called book depository because I believe they have free shipping outside of, wow. uh, outside of the U S thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for, for, um, speaking on the level up engine podcast, where can our listeners follow your work? Sure. They could send me a LinkedIn message. I, send me a LinkedIn. I love connecting with people on LinkedIn. I'm always sharing articles and sharing other information that I write or that I read on LinkedIn. Um, you could uh, send me a Twitter invite at David Mayer Siegel. You could do that. You can also check out our website, which is decideandconquerbook.com and connect that way. So lots of different ways. And of course, download the Meetup app. If you don't have it, just download the app, find something in some country, get off the couch, and do something and find community. It's a special thing. Right. Meet with awesome people. Thank you so much, dearest listeners and watchers. I am Carolina Todt. Today, my guest was David Siegel, who is the CEO of Meetup. And we talked about the future of workforce in this new hybrid world that we are living in. I think we can all take some things home and maybe ponder around as to as to how we can be more transparent in managing up or um, in helping our employees. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is fun. Thank you. Thanks for staying with us. This was the Level Up Engineering Podcast by Apex Lab. Check them out at apexlab.io. And don't forget to subscribe to our channel, rate our content, and share your thoughts on this episode. See you next time. See you next time.